you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 11. I want to look at the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 11. Um, if you knew me very well, one of the things you would realize very, very quickly is that I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a very good mechanic. But I have really good friends that help me in those areas, which is really a blessing. But if you wanted to learn carpentry, you would never come to me. It would be, it would be a catastrophe. I mean, you, you just, you just, and you know what that's like. If you want to pick up a trade, what do you do? You find somebody that knows that trade and does it effectively. Uh, that, that, that's, that, that's just life. That's just how it works. What do you do if you want to learn how to pray? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? It's, it's the very question that the disciples had in, in Luke chapter 11. You see, in that day, people had teachers and rabbis, and you would gather around these individuals because they were experts in, in different areas, maybe in the scriptures, whatever the case may be. But as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, one of the things you notice, and the disciples picked this up, again and again and again, Jesus would slip away and he would pray. Matter of fact, several times he's praying all night. And this is leaving quite an impression on the disciples. When you come to chapter 11, they're so taken back by it that they want to learn more about it. And what the beauty is, what Jesus tells them, he tells us. So notice what the text says. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And we're going to notice then both what he says and why he says it, what Jesus says. And once again, we call this the Lord's Prayer. And what I want to try to do, I, I want to read through it. And I, I, as I'm reading through it, I want you to ask this question. Would it matter if I rearranged the text? Does it really matter if we start where the text starts? Could we start with the last request and then move up to the first request? Is there anything to the order of this text? Is there any way to group the components of this text? Just watch for some of those things as we talk our way through it. And Jesus said this, when you pray, say. And again, as we read this, this doesn't mean some kind of a rote way that every time Every time I pray, my prayer has to be word for word that, and that's all. Is that the point? If that was the case, then Jesus failed miserably because the recorded prayers we have in the Gospel of Luke, he doesn't say it like that. When he prays, it's very, very different. Now, it's always connected to that, but not by rote. Okay? So what does he say? Here are the components that should be in our prayer, even though they may get organized in a variety of ways. He says this. Father, and don't lose that, folks, because none of this makes any sense unless he's our father. Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. It's a little bit different than it's, it is in Matthew's account. Here's my question for you. Would it make any difference if those two were last? Do they have to be first? And the answer to that is yes. Because, I mean, I've often thought in my own prayer life, 
I, I don't, let, let me read the rest of them, then I'll, then I'll ramble a little bit about what I'm trying to say here. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not in temptation. There's been times in my life when what I've prayed for centrally is a physical issue in my life. Or, or a physical issue in the life of one of my children. And I, I want God's will, honestly. But what I really want is this. Have you ever been there? I'm like there all the time. And even in the midst of my praying, sometimes the Spirit of God is tapping my heart and saying, Doug, you've taken what is peripheral and made it central. What should be central made it peripheral. And I don't even realize it. Because I'm always praying, but God, I want you to be glorified. But what's critical in my prayer, folks, and I hope, hope I can make this clear, is that at the very core of my prayer life is an obsession with God. Do you see that? So Jesus says, when it comes to praying, what that means at the very core is what you say is, God, what we want you to do among us is for you to be seen, for you to be magnified, for your name to be set apart in such a way that people say, wow, what a God that is. And Lord, because that's so important for us, we can't wait till you come back and you do all the stuff you're going to do with the kingdom because we are obsessed with you now and in light of what you're going to do. See, that's how the prayer works. At its very core, if I don't start with God, if I start with Doug, sometimes my prayers are Dougocentric <laughs> when they're supposed to be theocentric. You remember what happened with Copernicus? Came along and said, look, I know what everybody says. Everybody says that the, that, that the universe or that our galaxy kind of rotates around the earth. And he says, I really actually think it's around the sun, come to think of it. And Paul oh, created all kinds of issues, as you're aware. But he was right. So you move from kind of be geocentric to heliocentric. And the bottom line is, in my own life, I tend to be kind of Doug-centered rather than God-centered, even though God is important to me. But he's not always centrally important to me. And I really want him to work my side of the street. I do. And I hate to tell you, but it's true. And Jesus calls us back again and says, you know what? At the very core is an obsession with God. Now, th does that mean my issues are not even concerns to God? Of course not. But they're all connected organically to what is central, which is God let your name be hallowed. And I can't wait till the end of the day when all the world will know that when your kingdom comes. And so it starts with God. And then it moves to people whose lives revolve around God and we realize everything we do depends upon him. I can't do a thing without him. I need him to be very central. So notice what he says. Lord, give us each day our daily bread. Donna was speaking today. 
and having been down there to Appalachian, and I haven't been to Appalachian, Donna, um, but I've been overseas. A uh, couple years lived in Brazil. Saw some of the most incredible poverty in my entire life. When people in America sometimes say, oh, you know, we're, we're under the poverty line. You know, they're driving a car and they have a nice TV and all. I, I'm not saying they don't need more. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking like, trust me, perspective. When you go to other places, things, your perspective changes a little bit. And in the first century, the, so many of the people of God were right there. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, how do I pay my mortgage next month? And that's an issue. They're thinking, how do I get food for the next meal? That's like really an issue, isn't it? I mean, these are deep-seated needs. And so you have people coming together. And, and it, to be obsessed with God doesn't mean I don't talk about me. It just means I talk about us around him. And so, God, I need you. For everything in my life, my physical health, knowing how to pay things, knowing, having the wisdom to know what to do and what to not to do, how many cars to have, how many to sell, all that stuff. God, I need you. In this prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to be centrally obsessed with God and then realize that everything about you is dependent upon him. So God, help me. And, and God, I've got another huge issue. It's sin. I'm a rebel. I go my own way. If I shift into neutral, I do what Doug wants to do. So God, forgive me for dishonoring you in the past. Forgive me for my sins. I want to have this good, close relationship with you. And God, lead me not in temptation. Oh, you know, I was just ready to take these off. I can't do that because they're taped on. Okay, I'll leave them on. So. <laughs> Almost did that. Okay. I sometimes take my glasses off, but I'll even want I got a tape up job here. So, anyway, so lead us not in temptation. And here's the point the point of it is, it comes from the heart of a follower of Christ that is so passionate about keeping God central and so certain that all of life is dependent upon Him that the last thing in the world I want to do is sin against Him. So when I do sin, and we sin all the time, I confess because I want to be close to the one with whom I'm obsessed. And when I look to the future, my biggest concern tomorrow is not whether, or this afternoon, whether the Eagles are going to win or not. Well, we know the answer to that one. But, but it's not that. My biggest concern is, God, I, I don't want to do anything where I'll find myself in a place where I will dishonor your name. Because, Lord, I'm obsessed with you. So everything I talked about, Jesus says, centers around God. And I bring my needs to him, and I'm concerned about my past sin, and I'm concerned about what I might do. And I say at the end of the day, God, I am totally dependent on you. I can't do a thing without you. And Jesus says, that's how you pray. And it doesn't mean every, every prayer works exactly that way, does it? Where you say, first this, then. But it means your heart about prayer works that way. We have two recorded prayers of Jesus to the Father in Luke's gospel. And you know, and both of them are centered on God, but it's fascinating when you read Luke 22. Jesus is in the garden. And when Jesus thinks about what he's going to have to go through, you remember what he says? Father, if there is any way, here, here, here's his need, here's his concern. If there is any way, 
Please, Lord, I would rather not drink this cup. But then what does he say? Not my will be done, but yours. Do you see how that's perfectly balanced? It doesn't mean he ignores his needs. It doesn't mean he just kind of shuts up and, and, you know, stoically goes on in life. No, no. Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I mean, profusely sweating before the Father, saying, God, here is my need, Father. And I, I would be happy if there was any other way to do this because this is what concerns me. But Father, because I am so obsessed with you, your will be done. Do, do you see that's perfectly balanced? It comes out of a heart of honesty and humility saying, please, God, if it's your will, do this. Have you done that with God? Where we've come before God and we say, God, I wish you would take this away. I wish you would change this. I wish you work in my child's life. I wish, I wish, I wish. And, and again and again, when we come to God, to be obsessed with God saying, but God, in a way that I can't understand, do your will, because at the core of my life is you. And I can leave it with you. Folks, that's not easy to pray. But our Lord did that. And here's the question. Did Jesus have to drink that cup? He did. And at the end of the day, it honored God. And it was the best thing for our blessed Lord. So to come to God with our needs doesn't mean we get what we want. We get something far greater. We get God. You know this anonymous poem. I'm not sure who wrote it. I don't know that anybody knows, knows it. But listen to these words. It, it, is, it is a heart that understands the Lord's prayer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I, I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. See, that's how it's supposed to work. Jesus, the God, disciples say, Lord, you do a lot of pray, praying. Like, teach us. What's, like, what's it about? Jesus says, that's what it's about. Never a denial of your needs, but always a recognition that I am so dependent upon him, I bring my needs to him, I bring past sins to him, potentially future sins. I bring it all to him because I can't do a thing without him. And what I care at the very core of my heart is him. You know what I do sometimes in my prayer life? I don't know if you do this. Sometimes I come before God and I say, God, I really feel like my agenda is all messed up. And I don't know if I always want what you want, but I want to want 
what you want. And I just tell him, so just do your good work, because here I am. And I don't know what else to do about this whole thing, because I know where we're supposed to be, and I'm not there in work. That's a good prayer. It's an honest prayer. And it's a kind of prayer that God works with. So Jesus says, pray. Pray like this. But then the question is, why should we pray like this? And he's ultimately going to give us two stories to help us with this. And I'll, I'll move through them rather quickly because you're looking at your watch saying, good grief, man, he's only going through verse 4 and he told me verse 13. Relax, we're, we'll, we'll pick up speed here a little bit. Notice his encouragement in verses 5 to 13. This isn't what to pray, this is why to pray. And the text says this, and he said to them, who among you shall have a friend? Now, and this is really important. Some of the translations don't get this quite right. So I, I, I want you to hear it. Verses 5 all the way down through verse 7 is a question. And it's really important. And I'll show you why in just a second. Um, who among you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he shall answer and say, do, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, folks, that's a question. And the implied answer is no one. So he says, honestly, let me illustrate it like this. It's midnight. My wife and I are in bed. My daughter's even in bed. I'm going off to sleep, and all of a sudden, I say, honey, did you hear something? And I go and I look out the window, and there's Tim Huff on my front porch. And I didn't know he was coming. Hey, hey, Tim, what's, what's up? He said, well, it's in the area. My car broke down and I'm really, really, really kind of hungry. Well, Tim, there's a McDonald's about two miles from here. I sure he and I are in bed. See you in the morning because I think I'm preaching in your church. <laughs> Would I do that to Tim? Now, has Tim inconvenienced me a bit? Yeah, I was sleeping. Showed up at a time that people don't normally show up on my doorstep. Does that mean I have to get up and go out with him and give him something to eat and then probably, I may even have to run him back to, to the church here, to his, to his home and I... Would I do it for my friend? Inconvenience, yes. Yeah. Would I, of course I would do it for my friend. That, that's the point. So, so is it a pain? So he says, look, this guy comes and says, hey, hey, I just had a friend come from out of town and 
I, I need to give him something to eat because that's protocol in our day. And he says, and what friend inside, with all the inconvenience, because you know in their day, everybody kind of sleeps on the mat in one room. So what I got to do, I got to step over Junior and Junior and the little girl. And, you know, all these people I'm stepping over. What a pain in the neck. I open my door and he says, he says, can I have a little bit of bread? Oh, what friend would say, um, look, it's late. Leave me alone. Shut the door. You know what the point, you know what the, the answer is? No friend would do that. Friends don't do that. Is, is, is this guy being a pain in the neck? Mm -hmm. Would you rather he never showed up? Absolutely. But he's your friend and you do it. It's going to be really important to understand the point. So Jesus says, that's what a friend does for a friend. And then Jesus goes one step forward in verse 8. He says this. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Jesus says, you're right. Protocol on that day realizes you would just do this friend to friend. But Jesus says, what in the rare exception? If that friend would say, I'm not coming up. I'm not going to do it. So what if Tim Huff sits on my doorstep and I say, Tim, I'm sorry, Tim, the McDonald's thing, okay? And then, you know, I get up to go to the bathroom at 2 in the morning and he's still sitting on my front porch. <sighs> Look, even if I wouldn't help the guy because he's my friend, and of course friends do that for friends, because of this shameless desperate act of my friend, of this person. I really don't want neighbors to be coming by and saying, who's the guy laying on his front porch? I'm going to go up and say, okay, Tim, let's get in the car and I'll help you out. Jesus, here's the point. People do that for people. Friends should do it for friends. And people just do it for people. You know that, don't you? Have you ever felt with your prayers? I don't even know if God listened. I tried. I've asked. I've even said in your will, Lord. Nothing seems to happen. I, I, I wonder if he's even there. I know he's there. The Bible tells me he's there. I don't feel he's there. Have you ever? I mean, look, have you not all felt that way? If we didn't feel that way, we'd be praying like the Dickens. And we don't pray like the Dickens. And there's a reason we don't pray like the Dickens. And that's the truth. And Jesus says, I want you to know something. God is far more than any friend you can possibly imagine. And God never acts because he says, oh, Finkbeiner is here again. What a desperate person. He is so, what an embarrassment. Send an angel down and get that guy out of here. No, no, no. God's more than that. And God is more than the friend who, of course, would do this for a friend. God is so much more. So even in the midst of my praying when I'm saying, God, it doesn't seem like you're answering and working. God is saying, Doug, I am your father. And I love and I care and I am here. So much more than any friend you could possibly imagine. I am here. Which is why he gives the command here. In verse 9, 
And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Does that mean I'll get exactly what I want? No, no. But I will get exactly what I need. My wife and I were talking about this in the car coming up. There's this really, really interesting verse. Matter of fact, let me have you look at it. It's just, you read it, and on the surface, it's kind of like, holy mackerel. Um, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is talking about the kind of difficulty that, that people are going to be going through in the future. And, and, and he says this in verse 16 of Luke chapter 21. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Okay, that means some of these individuals were going to die. Okay, martyred. You will be hated by all on account of my name. Okay, I got it, Lord. But look at verse 18. This is like one of those verses when you read and you go like, are you kidding me? Yet, not a hair of your head will perish. Oh, that's real nice. So you'll see me in the casket. And my hair parting will look beautiful. <laughs> not a hair. No, I'm dead. But my hair looks wonderful. Is that what he's saying in the text? You know what he's saying? When my people bring me their needs and they cry out for deliverance, there are times that the way I deliver them is I bring them into my presence. Because nothing to the smallest hair on your head, nothing will happen apart from my watch care over you. Nothing! So come and ask and it will be given. Now what is given may not figure exactly the way I'm thinking it's going to unless my world revolves at the core around him. So ask and it will be given. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. Jesus says when it comes to this thing about prayer. Praying like this. I call my people to engage. Because I'm so much more than a friend. So much more than a friend. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. And at the end of the day we will stand in the presence of God. And we will say. Oh you were so good. It doesn't always feel like it in this world. God, you were good. And then Jesus says, look, look, look. I really want to motivate you here, so let me give you another picture. Okay, I did the friend picture. Let me give you another picture. I want to take a, pick up the father figure with you. Look at verse 11. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg... He will not give him a scorpion, will he? Sometimes in the morning, I make eggs for my family. I have never, ever made a hard-boiled egg and handed it to my daughter. And she opened it up and found a scorpion inside. Mary, I mean, I've done a lot of things, but have I ever done that to you? No, never done anything like that. I mean, in my, I, can, I can be a little bit, in my humor sometimes, probably a little bit demented. Fair enough. But... I would never do that to one of my kids. And he ends by saying this. Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion. If you then, being evil, 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. And we do, don't we? We do. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, don't lose that, because it's a little bit different than what you find in Matthew's account, isn't it? Matthew says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Luke doesn't say that when he records a later prayer Jesus gives. And he, folks, don't miss this. This is very, very important. Jesus says, pray. Pray with me at the very center. Pray in dependence where you share everything that's going on in your heart. It's bring it all to God. And pray knowing that God will answer exactly the way he needs to answer in his time. But pray that way because he's more than a friend. And he's more than a father. I think I'm a pretty good father. I'm going to ask my kids. But I think I'm a pretty, I try to be a good father. I love them. I love my kids like the Dickens, as you do. But when this text compares Doug Finkbeiner to God the Father, the only comparison they can use is I'm evil. <laughs> That's it. I mean, you know, because compared to God, you know, my motives get mixed and all kinds of soupy stuff goes on. So here am I as a, as a sinner trying to walk by grace who does the best he can. And, and, and God says, that's like a pale comparison because if that happens at that level, how much more will it happen at this level with a God who is always for you in the person of his son? Always. Never against you because Christ has come and died for you and has ascended, resurrected, and ascended and is your advocate at the right hand until he comes back. Now, you tell me that. And, and so, so in the passage, he says, he is more than a father, and it says here he'll give you the spirit. Now, now think about this. This is before Pentecost, isn't it? What greater expression of the incredible love of God than what he will do in the person of Jesus Christ? Because when Christ comes, and Christ suffers, and Christ dies, and Christ is resurrected and ascends. Now the new covenant can start with the coming of the Spirit. And there is nothing better because from the Old Testament, God again and again said, I am going to do something incredible in your midst when I come and give you of my Spirit. And Jesus says, you pray, disciples. Because the greatest expression of God's goodness is coming soon at Pentecost. You say, but Doug, we're post-Pentecost. So I give you the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. If God has not kept back his own son, how will he not also freely give you all things that you need? Do you see? So from their perspective... God is more than a father because of what he's going to give you. We stand on this side of Pentecost and we look back and we say, he is the faithful father. And if he has done that, he will do everything else that we need, not necessarily that we want, until he actually comes back. Now that's a good lesson on prayer, isn't it? Because it's framed within God's greater story. So what's the text tell us? Try to boil it down to one sentence. 
Pray confidently that God will glorify himself among us as he faithfully provides for us because he is passionate to give us what is best. That's what I think the text is saying. I can come before God when he's central and bring all my needs, all my needs, all my sin, all my fears about sin I'm going to do tomorrow, all of it. Because he's more than a friend. And he's far more than a father. And he's for me in Jesus Christ. He has already given me of the spirit. Everything else he does is icing on the cake. So brothers and sisters. That's how we should pray. Father.